to us. Fires, touchdown Miami. Waddle snuck into the end zone of Miami. Boy, tight throw, tight window. They had to get that touchdown on that play. They get it. What is up, Dolph fans? And welcome to the Drive Time Podcast, part of the Miami Dolphins Podcast Network, covering your team, your Miami Dolphins. How's it going, everybody? I am your host, Travis Wingfield. It's a Friday. We're talking college ball. We're making week one picks. And the next time you hear from me, We'll be recapping Dolphins and Patriots week number one. But on this podcast, we're going to go behind enemy lines. Taylor Kyles of NFL Network and Next Gen Stats Research joins us to break down this matchup. We'll make our week one picks. We'll talk some college football. We'll get the sound bites of the week, a fun edition of the Drive Time Podcast coming your way here on the Drive Time Podcast. From the Baptist Health Studios inside the Baptist Health Training Complex, this is the Drive Time Podcast. That's another Let's not waste any more time here and get to my guest today, Taylor Kyles. And joining us now on the Drive Time Podcast is a next-gen stats researcher at NFL Network. He breaks down the Pats all 22 at Patriots CLNS. He formerly wrote at the SB Nation Patriots vehicle, Pats Pulpit. I got that one out properly. Taylor Kyles. Taylor, how you doing today, man? Good to talk to you. I'm doing well, man. I'm so excited to talk to you. This has been the highlight of my day. I know we go, we've been going back and forth on Twitter for feel, feel like it's been years yeah. now. So uh, this is this is really exciting. It is it is really exciting. I always get a chance to you know kind of peruse what other teams, I guess, beat writers or people that cover the team. And you've always stood out, man, as a guy that really kind of informs us in the way we're trying to do here on Drive Time. So I wanted to make sure I got you on the podcast here and teach us about our Week One opponent because. You know, as Coach Mike McDaniel told us on Wednesday, he would be surprised if he wasn't surprised, and that's kind of a hallmark of a Bill Belichick team, that they're always going to have different ways that can attack you in ways that you maybe don't expect. And something else he talked about that I want to get your take on here, Taylor, is that he told us that Mac Jones is a player that he anticipates will just get better as his career goes along. And I'm curious to hear from someone that watches him so closely In what ways do you think Mac Jones can improve and grow from his rookie season into year number two here? Absolutely. Well, good timing. Patriots announced captains today, and Mac was voted a captain. And one thing he talked about was him wanting to be a better leader. Um, And he walked into the building. I mean, week one against the Dolphins last year, we saw it pretty quickly. He was making checks to Columbia. The offense clearly ran through him. Um, So I think you saw a lot of that. But I think he can still take a step in that um, in that vein, mentally, I think he could do a better job sometimes in his post-snap evaluation. Uh, I know you know last year the pick six, Xavier Howard, that was a great example where the Dolphins and Patriots know each other very well. They run very similar systems. And the Dolphins know when they get that two-receiver side, there's a good chance it's going to be a go-out side and an in-breaker or an outbreaker, pardon me, or stick from the slot receiver. Xavier Howard read it perfectly, and Mac, rather than – uh, confirming what he saw after the snap, he threw it right to him and it put the Patriots in an early hole. And obviously, you know how that went. So mentally, in terms of uh, post-snap evaluation, he can be better. And in terms of execution, I think he's doing a better job and has been since the end of last year of using his legs to extend plays when he needs to. You know, he's not Lamar Jackson by any stretch, but he is an underrated athlete. He can buy time when he needs to. He can pick up those first downs versus man if it's a long yard situation and everybody's got their back turned to him. Uh, but one thing I'd like to see as a passer physically is him being more aggressive downfield, particularly over the middle. 
Now you think of the Patriots as the team that lives over the middle of the field. And in the Brady era, when they had the tools, you saw him take those shots down the seam very often. And Mac had one of those early on, actually, against uh, a creeper pressure from the Dolphins. They sent a slot blitz early, and Nelson Aguilar caught it up the seam against a tight window throw. But you didn't see that a lot. And there were other opportunities, especially off play action, where Mac could have hit one of his tight ends down the middle and instead went and checked it down. So those are the big things, I think, you know, being more aggressive, using his tools. Physically, he's a different player than he was last year. And you can see that. You know, Kendrick Bourne even commented on it. You know, he's, he's slimmed down a little bit, um, eating a little less ice cream. Uh, as those New England quarterbacks tend to do. So, uh, yeah, you know, just little things. He's a great leader. He's smart. You know, we know he's accurate in all those things, but it just in terms of taking that step forward as, you know, you'd expect to be a young quarterback. Did he go for the avocado ice cream instead this offseason? I mean, it'd be too cliche. I hope not, man. <laughs> <laughs> Mac 10, you got to brand something else, my guy. <laughs> That's exactly right. It was it was too easy to go that, that route with that question there. So I appreciate you teeing that up for me. <laughs> really good stuff there. Taylor Kyles here from CLNS, uh, breaking down Patriots All-22, also a next-gen stats researcher at NFL Network. And, you know, I wanted to get your take here on the post-Josh McDaniels offensive system because, man, that thing was like clockwork and the way that they operated, whether it was, you know, skill guys coming in and out, offensive line had plenty of continuity throughout the years, but they just found a way to produce regardless of who was there. He was such a staple there. So I'm curious what we can expect now with Matt Patricia as the play caller and kind of a new offensive staff. I may sound like I'm copping out a little bit here, but with a lot of the things that are going on with offense, it's a lot of we're going to have to wait and see. Josh McDaniels is obviously a huge loss. You know, as upset as I know a lot of people are that you've got people who are inexperienced in their offensive roles on the coaching staff this year, you weren't going to replace Josh McDaniels very easily regardless. Um, And furthermore, Mac Jones is in his second year. If there was any time for the offense to undergo a significant change, particularly uh, they mentioned the verbiage and the terminology is a little more streamlined to make it easier for young players. Patriots terminology was infamous and Brady's tenure is just being very hard for players to pick up, um, especially considering there were references that were outdated. They were built for McDaniels and Brady specifically. So um, it's hard to say the offensive players seem excited. Kendrick Bourne and Johnny Smith, two really great yak threats who are kind of do it all weapons for the Patriots have both mentioned they feel that they're being used to the best of their abilities this season. And they both were players who had some flashes last year, particularly Kendrick Bourne, wide receiver three, but had a ton of big plays that made it seem like he was going to have a bigger role. He's been quiet, but John New Smith, a guy who had some great plays after the catch, but didn't quite live up to his contract has also looked better this summer. So hopefully we see more opportunities for them to play to their strengths. Uh, but at the same time, we've heard a lot about the offense of uh, the offense switching more to outside zone, like a Shanahan S type of scheme. Um, we've, I heard reports from camp indicate that that has been the case and we're seeing more of that than usual. But with the Patriots, it's important to remember that they pride themselves on being versatile, being able to adapt. Against the Dolphins, they ran gap, you know, where they were going straight downhill. They were checking to outside zone uh, toward the strength, away from the strength. They had some power. They're going to want to take advantage of whatever formation defense presents. So I think there's going to be maybe some changes in terms of how the Patriots execute and how they use their role players. Um, it's again, it's hard to know right now, especially with them not really giving us a lot. The offense pretty much looked like what we've seen um, from from Mac Jones last year in the preseason. But we know they're not going to show you really what they're going to do um, when the games don't count. So, again, I'm sorry it's a cop out. Tough to say. But ideally, you're going to see more opportunities for the guys last year who 
you know, had some pretty good contracts. Nelson Aguilar, another guy who, uh, you know, I'll talk about a little bit later. But, um, you know, guys living up and um, excelling in the system rather than trying to adapt the way they did last year, which, you know, could have some speed bumps again with the change in the system. You're not copping out at all. You're actually I, – I love what you said because – my, my process here is I do my research, I do my own game preview podcast, and I welcome in someone that can give me more knowledge. And you kind of confirmed my, my thought there about how the Patriots are going to do what works for the Patriots. And, you know, I, I, was, I was talking to Evan Lazar from Patriots.com, and he was talking about how, well, they had these outside zone runs, but also had the gap runs in the preseason, and they were successful. So I, I wouldn't imagine right. they would just run something that doesn't work. So I, it's, it's, I think it's a, a perfect answer. And, you know, you, you mentioned Jonu Smith. He's a guy that I've highlighted that I think will kind of have, I don't want to call it a bounce-back year, but I think back to his particular, uh, what we expect from him is from a, from a production <laughs> standpoint. But uh, is he the guy that stands out in the skill groups for you? I'm curious which guys among receivers, backs, and tight ends really stand out as potential kind of go-to guys in this offense. One guy who's going to be pretty familiar to you, Devontae Parker, yep. had a very quiet preseason. Um, he only really caught the slant. There was another slant, Mac was off, and then they tried to connect a couple of times downfield. didn't work out. But in training camp, reports are that he and Mac found very quick chemistry on those 50-50 balls that we know Parker excels at, you know, downfield, all the acrobatic catches he makes. Uh, they've been pretty good at that. And what uh, we saw a lot in the preseason when Parker did see the ball come his way was a lot of opportunities, and I'm sure you're familiar with this, where he was on the backside of three-by-one formations. And what Deeps will do a lot of the time is if they're playing a zone coverage, put man coverage on the backside of that one receiver so that they can flood the three-receiver side and have a numbers advantage. So – Parker's getting opportunities to beat guys one-on-one. -on -one. Last year, Nelson Aguilar couldn't quite do that because he doesn't have the size to win those physical matchups when someone's in his face and pressing him consistently. Devontae Parker can do that. So he's someone where I think in a lot of big situations, we could see Matt potentially go to him. Um, but that's more of a projection. The man who's locked in stone right now, and it may not be exciting, but it's Jacoby Myers. He is extremely consistent since the day he walked in the building uh, he's been one of their most consistent and reliable playmakers. He's had a bigger role every season. Um, we've seen him kind of add elements to his game last year. Um, actually, against the Dolphins in the second matchup, uh, he caught a fade down the sideline from a reduced formation where he had more room to work on the sideline. So he went from strictly a short, maybe intermediate threat on those crossers and corners to now, okay, if he's matched up one-on-one, -on -one, we may give him some shots downfield as well. Um, so you're going to hear his name a lot. Uh, he may not be a burner. He may not be a guy that scares you, but he'll move the chains and he'll make the plays that need to be made. So uh, Janu, hopefully we do hear more of his name. Again, he's been more of a standout in camp. Um, probably going to see more opportunities for him down low, but hopefully, and this is what I think is going to help him take that next step, is getting more targets downfield on the you know play action where the Patriots will pull a guard to make it look like power. Those linebackers bite up because that's what they're taught to do in those situations. And John, who gets open right over the middle, Mac didn't always go to him. It seemed like there wasn't a ton of trust there. So hopefully they can add that dimension so that when they're coming out in the run formations, the Dolphins don't feel quite as comfortable just blitzing them and playing more aggressive. Yeah, that's good stuff, man. It's I'm glad you mentioned those guys too, because I was going over some, some numbers from last year and man, to a man, those guys pull in contested balls. It, it seems like at a better rate than any team across the National Football League, and Jacoby was one of those guys uh, ranking very highly in pulling down contested balls. So i big fan of his game. Now, the other side, and you mentioned, you know, Mac Jones against this complex Dolphins defense, and Tua gets to look at a complex Patriots defense. It's it's a tall order for these two young quarterbacks in week number one, as they'll do it back-to-back -back years now. But on that side, the Patriots have their continuity, both personnel and staff. 
Should we expect anything different than varied looks, incredibly deep front that's versatile, can play multiple spots, and runs a bunch of rush games? That's probably the, the menu again, right? So what the Patriots have tended to do against Tua is they actually keep it relatively simple. The biggest thing, and I think you know this, is a lot of Tua's production is coming in the middle of the field. It's the slants when he gets off coverage. Um, it's the hitches, the RPOs where defenders bite up and he can just get the ball to a playmaker in space. And then you blink and, and uh, Jalen Waddle went 15 yards on a three-yard throw. Um, so in that sense, I don't think we're necessarily going to see a lot of exotic looks. I think what we're going to get a lot of is a lot of cover one when the Patriots expect pass. Because, again, you don't want to play those soft coverages for receivers like Tyree Kill and Jalen Waddle. Mike Gusecki can just run free and do whatever they, you know, you want to get in their face. You want to make things more difficult on them. But on top of that uh, man coverage where they'll typically have outside leverage, because in cover one, he got the deep safety in the middle and he's taken away everything that's deep. I think what they'll do is they did this a lot last year, have the two edge defenders. So they play a three, four, you got the three big inside guys and those two other guys on the edge. They'll actually drop into coverage to take away the crossing routes that we knew, know Tua likes so much. And in long yarded situations, they'll actually bring one of their two deep safeties down and rotate into the cover one. And that safety coming down, usually Adrian Phillips, number 21, he'll be there to cut the deepest crossing route that they find. Saw that a lot in the second game where the slot defender and safety that was cutting the crosser would actually switch assignments so that they wouldn't be out leveraged and end up chasing a fast receiver across the field. Um, I think we're going to at least see a lot of three-man rushes, just the priority being to push the pocket and make Tua uncomfortable. But I think the Patriots' plan will be to push the pocket, make sure he can't be comfortable throwing those crossing routes. Uh, maybe see if he can make those throws downfield. He uh, had a couple really good throws to Devontae Parker and Jalen Waddle last year. Um, I, I personally think that Tua is underrated as a deep ball passer. You know, when things are clean, I think he can make some very impressive throws. And uh, I would expect, and I think you could speak more to this, that Mike McDaniel would kind of use that more off play action and give him more opportunities to work downfield. Um, so, yeah, again, I think it's going to be a pretty simple plan. Three-man rush, maybe four-man, push the pocket, a lot of man coverage, and zone help around the middle of the field to try to take away the easy stuff and make too uncomfortable. Yeah, I think it was I think it was like 11 or 12 blitzes in the two games combined against this Dolphins offense last year. And so it could be mm -hmm. a, kind of a copy-paste their blueprint in terms of the game plan. Can't wait to find out. And, Taylor, that brings us to our final portion here. Just real quick, uh, the Dolphins will win if and the Patriots will win if. The Dolphins will win if the no, I'm sorry, the Patriots will win if the Dolphins do what they've done very effectively into his tenure, and it's when they stand predictable. Their run, pass, their run pass splits against the Patriots when two is the quarterback are almost dead even. They've been able to keep them off base, especially in this Mike McDaniel 49er system where, they, like you said, they want to run the ball 30 times. If you let them do that and you can't put two in situations where you're saying, I am forcing you to drop back and consistently beat us with your arm, the Dolphins are going to win. Also, if the Patriots turn the ball over, as they've done in critical moments, and it seems like each of these games, you know, they have uh, Damian Harris fumbled at the goal line when they were, you know, knocking on the door and possibly winning. Ramondre Stevenson in the first week fumbled really early in the game. Um, they had a snap that was bobbled, and then they lost in the second game. So these turnovers are really turning these tight games where it's neck and neck until the last possession into these games that the Dolphins end up winning pretty comfortably. Uh, the Patriots will win if they can play that tight man coverage, if they can force Tua to be that drop back passer who's, you know, throwing about 20 times during the game, make the Dolphins a little more one dimensional. And if the Patriots can do what the Dolphins want to do and they can run the ball consistently, keep the Dolphins a little off base 
and then take advantage of play action shots and a little bit of those easier opportunities downfield. Capitalize on Byron Jones being out. That's huge. Um, might give them a few more opportunities uh, just thrown away from Xavier Howard. Um, so if they can do that, I think uh, the Patriots will be able to pull this one out. But it's going to be a good game. I'm looking forward to it, man. NFL Network, Patriots CLNS. You can follow him on Twitter at tkyles 39 Taylor, we've been talking about doing this for months now, it feels like. You've lived up to the hype, man. I really appreciate your time today. You've made us all smarter. Can't thank you enough. Thanks for coming on the podcast today, my friend. Appreciate you so much, brother. Thank you so much. And there he goes, Taylor Kyles. What a fun interview that was with him. Let's go ahead and take our first break, and we'll come back and play some more audio. I'm going to add a segment this year, the Friday Sound Bites of the Week. That's next here on the Draft Time Podcast. We'll hear from Mike McDaniel, Tua Tungavailoa, Josh Boyer, Danny Crossman. Hey guys, this is Matt Jones, Drew Franklin from the Fade This Podcast. We got a great episode coming up, picks in all the sports, football, basketball, we do them all, but here's a preview of this week's episode. Do you think it's more embarrassing to dye your hair or to have hair plugs? I don't think either are embarrassing if you're not trying to conceal it and act like you didn't. Okay, so you think if you just come out and go, I got hair plugs... Yeah, like check out these hair. Pl- I mean, don't just walk around. Hey, tapping. Your head. Hey, hey, stranger. I don't want you thinking this is natural. You know, but I mean, <laughs> do you, you have to do that with everyone you meet? Try to act like they. Uh, you know what I mean? Yeah, but I mean, like, like John Cena got him. You know, when John Cena came back to wrestling, he had a bald spot, and now he doesn't. Mm-hmm. You think he should be required in all interviews to say, "Look, by the way, I covered up my bald spot." Yeah, I guess it's weird. I mean, you don't wear a sign or like put a sign in your yard, but all right. So, what about toupees? Those are the most obvious. I but let's like. say you're like Bill Self and you can get it to where it looks good. His is magical. I don't even know if his is a toupee. It is. Though. I think he went into the future and had a procedure we haven't even discovered yet. And this episode was brought to you in partnership with DraftKings. To hear more, listen and subscribe to Fade This on iHeartRadio or wherever you listen to podcasts. Frank Smith, Austin Clark, Eric Studisville, and John Embry. Next, Drive Time Podcast. Your host, Travis Wingfield, brought to you by AutoNation. Plenty and plenty of content to cover throughout the course of the season. You know, especially with these media availabilities, it makes my job so much easier in season to not have to really think about content because they're going to talk about stuff that just kind of translates over easily. And there's, there's some upsides and downsides of that, but it certainly doesn't challenge the creative mind. And so, especially when you have these guys that give us such detailed, full and uh, informative answers like coach McDaniel does Kawa C-A-W-A coach's answer was awesome. Our, uh, our moniker here on the podcast, here's coach talking about some things that have He's relished, I should say, in his first week as a head coach in the game planning aspect of the job for week one against the Patriots. Oh, I guess it's this particular staff. Um, me, personally, um, I j- just not knowing if the opportunity would ever come, um, but knowing that the bottom line was that I, I would never forgive myself if I wasn't ready. I've been preparing as though um, I was calling plays for years, um, in ter- to the point of each play, um, just being careful not to murmur it out loud. Um, uh, but really this, uh, particular staff, um, that I'm able to, uh, lead, uh, just really getting, you know, you, you spend all this time, uh, really making sure, I mean, it's countless hours to make sure that you see the game the same way because everybody's from different 
um, places and has different experiences. So there's no shortcut to it. You grind through that. But then going against an opponent um, and having all of their contributions uh, it really, really helped um, the process for me uh, and ma- made it pretty seamless to the point that I that I wasn't, um, you know, I've, I've been involved on the not just the run game but in the pass game for, for years as well. So um, doing that together ha- has been enjoyable and um, ex- excited about that those working relationships really. Let's go ahead and go to QB1 to Atunga Vailoa, who spoke on Wednesday, as he will do each week in the season. Two questions here about what excites him most about this offense and how it suits his skill set, and then you'll hear him come back and talk about some things that challenges an opposing quarterback going up against the Patriots defense and head coach Bill Belichick. Well, I think I'm most excited with <clears throat> with the playmakers that we have. You know, um, you check the ball down, you never know what you're going to get. Um, and then now you can take the top off with guys like Tyreek. Um, you know, I know, I know everyone's probably seen with, with how Tyreek, you know, ran past <laughs> the quarters defender that had, um, you know, the deep quarter. And, you know, we still threw that. And that, you know, that's, that's, a, that's an advantage that, that we have with having someone like him. And then if Jalen does play, you know, I mean, I would say the same thing. Um, but, you know, I, I think those guys are going to give other guys opportunities to get open for us and make big plays for us. And part two. I think it's, it's, it's tough. It's, it's difficult every time we, we play um, a Bill Belichick defense. You, you never know what you're going to get. You are, you're always seeing different fronts. Um, I mean, he's going to find a way to confuse you. You know, it, it's, never, it's never normally the same. You'll get, you'll get some similarities with... Um, you know, people being in areas, but it's not, it's not usually the same. And that's what, uh, that's what makes it pretty difficult, um, you know, kind of making calls in the run game and then, you know, kind of knowing where to go in the pass game against them. One of my favorite press conferences this offseason has been Dolphins defensive coordinator Josh Boyer. I asked him what stands out when you watch the Patriots on tape. Very in-depth right here from Josh Boyer. Um, well, the first thing that start that stands out is they're very efficient. They're very well coached. Um, you know, they're a very run oriented team. Um, there's definitely, you know, one being this is opening day, and two being that it is them. They're going to give us something that they ha- they haven't shown or haven't done that we're, we're definitely going to have to adjust or be prepared for. Um, you know, and that's another thing when it comes into game planning opening day got to be very careful about chasing ghosts because you know you've, you've almost had seven months to game plan one game so um but the thing that stands out to me on film they're very good with their doubles with their offensive line um they are uh they got good running back stevenson uh harris um you know i'm sure that, you know they're going to use montgomery in certain ways we're preparing for jj taylor if they elevate him from the practice squad so um you know they're they're very efficient in their pass game uh, the quarterback does a good job. He gets the ball out quickly. Uh, he's very good with his reads. Uh, he knows and understands where to go with the ball. Uh, they they set up the, their play action off their run game, which you know is if you know if you're having a hard time with the run and then you know it's play action. Um, and then their their drop back schemes, uh, you know, again there there could be a little bit of element unknown here, but you know, for the majority of the part, they're an inside passing team um, and. Um, you know, and, and they got good skill players out there. You know, they got two two good tight ends with uh, Hunter Henry and John New Smith. 
And then their receivers, obviously they had the addition of Devontae, but, uh, you know, with Aguilar, Bourne, and um, Jacoby Myers, who's really, you know, they, they've really went to him a lot in go-to situations. Um, you know, it's a good core group that they have. And uh, they'll, ha- they'll have a good scheme. They'll have a good, you know, um, plan in place. And we've we got to be ready to adjust to whatever they give us that's a little bit unknown. Up next, offensive coordinator Frank Smith was asked about the pre-draft evaluation when he was with L.A. and the Raiders, respectively, for Austin Jackson in 2020 and Liam Eikenberg in the 2021 draft class. And he had a chance to talk about what makes those guys fits at their position in this particular offense. But I loved what he talked about with continuity, cross-training, and the importance of letting a guy settle into one position along the offensive line. Uh, Liam, yes, due to last year uh, coaching the line in L.A., um, prior to that to Austin, normally in, with the Raiders, we normally do a collective evaluation, but uh, that was our transition to Vegas with the virus, so I did not Austin, but I'd seen him in crossover tape. Um, but, I mean, we were fortunate with the way that they are as players, their abilities, they possess the skill set were necessary that we look for in linemen. Uh, we actually uh, liked Liam in our evaluation process. He was on our draft board. Um uh, in kind of the same area where he was selected. Um, so overall, um, that was the one thing I think you hit on that we really viewed as a positive of the job was, was the investment in the the group, um, you know, with the draft picks and also some of the back-end guys. The with Larno Coleman was a target of ours uh, for free agency as well, uh, college free agency. Um, so just overall, when we looked at the group, we saw a, a young group that really had uh, potential, and sometimes when you see guys that have potential, uh, why isn't the reality coming? And that sometimes it's uh, a system, uh, coaching, uh, consistency of a system. You know, I mean, there was a lot of change here prior uh, within the systems, and that's the greatest things just from uh, over our experience coaching young players. That are the triggering tools to help them: consistency, not moving around spots across the line, letting them be able to sink into one spot, understanding that playing run the right side is different than the left. You try not to switch them to let them get in the groove of that, uh, let them understand how the picture is affected at that spot. So overall, um, we've been very pleased with the development. Uh, but like everything, um, most positions, you know, they take time because you've got to learn, and you've got to learn through uh, experience. And also it helps, like we're – uh, why we valued having Teron here with his experience uh, and our history in New Orleans. I just personally, knowing him from when he was a rookie, uh, we knew what his experience would provide as a leader uh, and also as a player. And his perspective has been extremely valuable for our young players. Defensive line coach Austin Clark helped us break down the Patriots' offensive line, in my opinion, the strength of their football team. Obviously, we're, we're a different team. They're a different team. Uh, I think, you know, they have a phenomenal offensive line. You know, I think it all starts up front from Trent Brown, you know, winning a Wayne U. Andrews is solid in the middle. Cole Strange is a great, great player. I mean, in the preseason, he's been phenomenal. Uh, the uses of the, of the tight ends blocking, the receivers cracking, and the running backs are fall forward backs. Uh, it, both Harris, Stevenson, Montgomery, all these guys, uh, their whole team's bought into running the football, and so it's going to be a big challenge for us. 
Running backs coach Eric Studisville gave us a great detail about Miles Gaskin and Savon Ahmed, but I want to go ahead and play this answer about Chase Edmonds. You can find these press conferences in their full availability, or they're in full, I should say, up on the team YouTube channel. Here's Coach Studisville talking about Chase Edmonds. Well, I, the first thing that excites me is his ability to prepare. You know, he's intensely focused, intensely competitive, and that's the thing you love first because that gives us a chance. As far as his skill set on the field, I think he's a complete back. He can run it. He's showing speed in the open. He's showing the ability to make guys miss, get on the edge of them. He's caught the ball well when we've given him those opportunities in practice, and uh, we just want to keep building on that. And, and you know, we, I can't wait to watch him, you know, when the, when the lights are on for real. All right, there you go. A lot of good content there, but even though we're at about a half hour right now, the podcast ain't stopping, baby. We have another segment to get to here on the Drive Time Podcast. But first, before we do that, let's go ahead and close up this segment with week one picks, baby. I have my record from last year. I actually found it after saying I didn't know what happened to it on the previous podcast. I went 188, 83, and one. That is a 69.4% nice winning percentage. And those are rookie numbers. We got to pump those numbers up. Let's make the goal this year. Hey, you know what? 50th anniversary of the 1972 team. The goal this year is 72%. And with that week one picks, am I already batting a thousand or am I batting nil with the Thursday night game? I took the Rams over the bills recording this episode on Thursday afternoon. So I don't know the result there, but we're taking the Rams. Give me the Dolphins over the Patriots, Steelers over the Bengals. I think an upset there in week number one uh, is you're going to get all kinds of upsets this week. You got to find out which spots those are going to be. I'm taking Pittsburgh, Philadelphia over Detroit, San Francisco over Chicago, Carolina and the fighting Baker Mayfields get their revenge on the Cleveland Browns, Indianapolis over the Houston Texans. I'm taking Atlanta in a big rivalry game with the Saints over New Orleans uh, to kick off this uh, Marcus Mariota with the Falcons, Baltimore over the Jets. Jacksonville over Washington, Tennessee over the Giants. I'm taking another divisional upset here. The Vikings over the Packers. Give me the Chargers over the Raiders to avenge that week 18 game last year. I'll take the Cardinals over the Chiefs. I think people are sleeping on the Cardinals, especially how they come out of the gates. They're a tough team to plan for in week number one. Give me Kyler Murray over the Chiefs. Tampa over Dallas and Russell Wilson goes into Seattle and puts the hurt on the Seahawks on Monday Night Football. So there you go. I can't wait. As Krishna Wilkins says, football! Football, baby. We have one more segment, including the college football three-pack. My QB1 and QB2 are squaring off this weekend, and we'll answer some of your mailbag questions. That's all next here on the Drive Time Podcast. Your host, Travis Wingfield, brought to you by AutoNation. Live Nation presents Concert Week. Now through May 14th, get $25 tickets to over 5,000 shows. That's up to 75% off a summer full of your favorite artists like 21 Savage, Alanis Morissette, Cage the Elephant, Celeste Barber, Dirk Bentley, Fade, Hootie and the Blowfish, Janet Jackson, Kids Bop Kids, Megan Trainor, Bissell Pluma, Sarah McLaughlin. Get tickets to more than 5,000 summer shows for just $25. Until now through May 14th. Visit LiveNation.com slash Concert Week to learn more and plan your summer with Sean Paul, Sum 41, 30 Seconds to Mars, oh, and Two Door Cinema Club. The college football three-pack is on the way, but first, let's get to a few of your questions, starting here with at Hofschwell. I hope I got that right. Who knows? How aggressive should we expect Josh Boyer to be with a defense without Byron Jones? It's a great question and something I'm sure they've had many conversations about with regards to how to you know, offset the loss of Byron Jones, a very good outside cornerback on this team. 
But this is a next man up league, and I don't think you change who you are when one part of the car is in the proverbial shop, so to speak. I mean, you build and develop the cornerback room in the same vein with regards to how you want to play defense. And I know that Noah Igbenogany is a physical cornerback who can press. Keon Crossan's a feisty guy that is, or he's as feisty as they come, I should say. Elijah Campbell's a big, lengthy dude if he plays out there from his, you know, cornerback safety kind of mixed position. I think you play to your strengths, and the Dolphins have a deep defensive backfield with a pass rush that can rotate guys through and keep coming as much as they need. I'm really excited to see what Josh Boyer has cooked up. I think he's going to have a fantastic year as the DC here. Up next from at Allen Medeiros. I hope I got that right. Probably didn't. With our improved roster, will anything less than an AFC championship be disappointing? Look, I was having a conversation with a coworker today about how unique football is in the sense that we have so much downtime, not just in the off season, but like six days between games and how that allows these expectations to develop. And when things don't go according to the script, we're all shocked, but we shouldn't be because it's a week to week league. And there's so many variables that can tilt a game. And especially in a league where most of these games come down to the last few plays of the game. I mean, Miami lost three games at the buzzer last year. So hypothetically, you know, say we're in a division or in the divisional round leading by two, we're playing Baltimore and Justin Tucker hits a 65 game winning, 65 yard game winning field goal in the snow. Like th- him making that kick versus not making that kick isn't going to change my opinion of the football team. I think you need a mountain of context to properly assess each and every team at the end of the season. So I'll reserve that for January. But I will say that I am so excited about this team and I really, really believe genuinely what they're building here. Let's finish up here with at Paul Quan. Paul Con McGuire, Shula always insisted on 1 p.m. kickoffs. How much of an advantage these days is the heat and humidity at Hard Rock Stadium? Will the Patriots being down here for a week help them with the condition? One, absolutely it helps. Just in the same way, the cold weather for teams like Buffalo and Green Bay is an advantage for them in those winter months. So it'll, you know, it's a give and take situation. We'll have to go up there in week 17. So, you know, give and take. We have that that New Year's game, New Year's Day game, the conditions probably are going to be pretty bad. As for the heat acclimation, this is something I've been really fascinated by this week. Uh, my favorite thing remains the construction of the canopy here at Hard Rock Stadium. The shade and the, the, the real feel of the shade on Sunday is going to be 98 degrees, but in the sunshine, that increases very significantly up to like 122 or something. Last weekend, I sat in the shaded area of the stadium for an hour and a half and your sweat soaks through your clothes, you stick to your seat, it is flat out uncomfortable. I can't even imagine doing that in the sun for double the time. So there you go. That's it. Thank you for those. We'll do some more next week as well for our Bally show on TV down here in South Florida. But let's go ahead and finish the podcast with the college football three-pack real quickly. Kentucky and Florida is my prime... Premier, premier, marquee. I put those words together. That's my marquee, premier, premier matchup this weekend. Anthony Richardson and Will Levis are the two most gifted quarterbacks in the country for my money. I think when it's all said and done, that AR will go number one and Levis won't be far behind that. And that might sound contrarian, as you've certainly heard about Bryce Young and CJ Stroud, both damn good players. But right now, these are my guys. I cannot wait to watch this game. The ball jumps off of their hands. They both have plus running ability. And I'm not going to sit here and give you an eval on their processing slash playing the position. That's when the tape comes out. And I don't have that tape yet. I just know these guys are a scout's dream in terms of the physical skill set. The next process is to find out if they're a coach's dream in the way they prepare themselves. How about Bama and Texas? Longhorns are unranked. Bama in their usual standing at number one, although I think Ann and Vera here in our PR departments might have a bit of disagreement about that with the UGA Bulldogs, their alma maters. 
possibly the number one team in the country. Nonetheless, this game is also a scout's dream. Alabama, Will Anderson is the overwhelming favorite right now to be the first non-quarterback picked. Uh, shoot, he probably would have been that last year as well. He'll draw matchups against a pair of interesting prospects and in Christian Jones and Kelvin Banks on that Longhorns offensive line. So there's your trench scouting for the weekend. And then Bryce Young, obviously a big one to watch, but Texas running back B. John Robinson, man, he's got a ton of buzz because he is exceptional an exceptional creator of yardage, one of my favorite backs coming out in a while. Let's go back out west for number 10 USC versus Stanford. Caleb Williams and Jordan Addison is as good as it gets at receiver and quarterback. I'm curious to see how Stanford corner Kai Blue Kelly, what a great name that is, how he plays against last year's Blitnikoff winner. And last but not least, don't forget Washington State traveling to Madison, Wisconsin to take on the Badgers. A riveting 24-17 victory over Idaho last week. Just a tad disappointing, but now we've got this uh, three-score dog, 17.5 point dogs in this one. I really, really, really want to make it work to go to this game, but I just couldn't make it happen because I've heard that Madison is a college football experience that you have to well, experience, but logistically not possible. Keep an eye on our quarterback once again, Cameron Ward. Big game for him. All right, that's my time today. You all, please be sure to subscribe to the podcast on Apple Podcast. Leave us a rating. Leave us a review. You can follow me on Twitter at Wingfield NFL. Follow the team at Miami Dolphins. Check out the Fish Tank Podcast with Seth and Juice and our weekly Twitter Spaces show every Wednesday at 8 o'clock. The YouTube channel for the media availabilities, Dolphins Today, Drive Time, and Fish Tank content. And last but not least, MiamiDolphins.com. Until next time, fins up, Caroline, daddy's coming home. Forgot some equipment today, so no closing uh, outro song. My bad, my bad.